Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Great to see you this morning. Get some lights on there. If we could uh, see each other. <laughs> there we go. Hey, you're here. I didn't realize that. Good morning. Great to see you here. You all look great today. My word. Turn to someone near you and say, you look exceptionally well. Do that real quick. Just encourage them. Even if you're lying to them, it's okay when you're giving them a compliment like that. I think it's all right. If you're at home, you look really good. I'm glad you're with us this morning. I can't see you. Uh, but we're glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you take them? Turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 25. You can begin to kind of find your place there in that passage of Scripture as we continue a series called It's Complicated. Uh, just simply looking that not everything is easy and there aren't any simple solutions to everything that happens in our relationships and we spent our first week together looking at probably one of the hardest passages of scripture and the most messiest of situations there's actually several I'm actually thinking of a series now uh, I'm actually a teaching series that I thought if I ever go to a camp I'm going to call it God's soap operas I just thought that would be good there's all kinds of soap operas in scripture and, and crazy stories and, and uh, th that happened to be one of them last week we took a little bit about leaving a legacy and specifically in the area of childhood and raising kids children grandchildren and just having a lasting legacy now today we want to go on and talk a little bit more about uh, dealing with difficult people in our life um, I, I some of you will know this phrase some of you have used this phrase some of you have been the recipient of this phrase it's kind of a it's kind of a it's not even an inside joke it's just an ongoing kind of a cliche joke that when two individuals are seeing each other in a dating relationship and one of them decides that it's time to kind of time for it to be over they may say something like I don't think we should see each other anymore and the other one might get a little bit upset and so we'll use that phrase right uh, well it's not you it's me <laughs> it's that whole thing it's it's your way of kind of breaking some tough news and doing it in a way where you kind of bring it back on yourself it's not it's not you it's me and and that can happen in a lot of relationships right not just dating relationships it can happen in relationships where you basically would rather not spend a lot of time with that person anymore and you, you're basically trying to just make it easy on them and say it's not really you it's it's me but if we were really being honest about it sometimes it is them sometimes it is you what, what about those times in life where where honestly the person drives us nuts the person is hard to get along with the person is difficult in our lives how many of you know somebody who's just a difficult person in your life? Just raise your hand real quick. Hopefully you're not married to them, but that it could be, could be. Statistics tell us that one out of every three people are difficult people. So look to your left. Look to your right. They seem okay. 
you're it, right? It's you. It's, it might be you. And it's always hard when you're in those things where you're looking at difficult people. And difficult people, sometimes, I, I just want to, I'm going to just use a vernacular, sometimes there are mean people. In fact, in the Hebrew, I think it's, they're jerks. They're just not, they're not nice people. Why in the world does God have them in our life? And today what I want to do is take us to a passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to take a look at one of the many difficult people that are in Scripture. But I want to throw out a couple of ideas to you. Like, for example, did you ever think that God might want to use difficult people in your life? There's this idea that God wants us to always be happy and God wants us to always have easiness in life and he wants to give us the simplest path. And that, that actually is not biblical. That's not really true. The fact is, is that God is far more interested in your character, your character development and who you are as you enter into his presence than he is about always having things go our way within life. And there's this misnomer that if I follow Jesus Christ, if I give my heart to him, if I'm nice to other people, they'll always treat me in a similar way, and that is not always the case. In fact, sometimes God uses difficult people in our life, number one, so that it reveals our true character and heart condition. Uh, David's a great example of this. How many times was David in a relationship or being attacked by some? someone uh, Absalom Saul even Goliath himself and it's interesting you tend to see your true heart condition and character when you're dealing with a difficult person number two God uses difficult people in our lives to help grow us more than we would have grown without them because it forces us to go to prayer to our knees it forces us to the cross where we're trusting the Lord. It forces us and it allows us to have a greater strength than we ever could have had in ourselves. This last week I was reflecting on Paul's words uh, in Philippians chapter 3, and he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I, I realized that that's likely he's not talking about a person, but I kind of smiled to myself, and sometimes I like to imagine these things in Scripture, that wouldn't it be interesting if when Paul said that, he was thinking of a difficult person in his life. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do this. I can, I can somehow figure out how to navigate with this person at work, this, this boss, this, this employee, this person in my family. I can navigate this through Christ who gives me strength. God uses difficult people. Number three, God uses difficult people to help shape and mold us into his image. I'm not going to say it's the only characteristic, but one of the most distinguishing characteristics of the disciples of Jesus Christ is when we love people that are very unlovable. Now, if you love people that love you, Jesus says good for you. Even the mob does that. Even the mafia does that. I mean, loving people who love you, that, a lot of people do that. But he says, but when you love people, when you, when you are kind, when you show Christ to relationships where it's not reciprocated, that really is an evidence of the Spirit of God working in your life. So before we dig into this little passage, there's a couple of ground rules here that I just kind of encourage. Because if you've got difficult people in your life, the first thing you have to understand is the toddler rule. 
the toddler rule. And the toddler rule should be very simple, is that you don't reward poor behavior. If somebody is difficult in your life, you don't want to reward that behavior because you're only going to get more of it. But number two, it's understanding your position and whether or not you really have the authority to work in that person's life. For example, if it's the owner of the company who's the, who is the difficult person, you are limited in your authority to actually deal with that. Now, if you happen to be the boss, I always, always like, I always kind of share this, Pastor Bruce, I share this a little bit, uh, is that if I have any employees that are difficult, I can be very gracious to them because in the end, I win. <laughs> and so when you, when you have the authority to work on that stuff, but, but when you're working with someone, you kind of have to figure out, do I have any authority to really affect position? And by the way, difficult people are more difficult the closer you have to be with them. If they're in your family, if they're in your relationship with them, if it's somebody that you have a hard time not being together with, it's always a tougher situation than it would if somebody just on the road, right? It's that driver. That's hard, but it's not as hard as the person that you're continually with. And then there's the pain rule. The pain rule is just simply understanding that hurt people hurt people and there might be something else going on in their life. It just simply puts you in a position where you try to understand where that person is coming from. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we could have chosen probably four or five different passages from David's life alone. We could have gone into the New Testament. We could, have, we could have spent time on a lot of different individuals. But in this particular story, David is with his men, his mighty fighting men, about 600 of them that are traveling, and they are, they are basically staying out of the way of King Saul. They have pulled away. Saul has now tried to kill David several times, and so he pulls away. He basically is distancing himself. And by the way, that's not a bad way to deal with someone who is unfairly attacking you. He doesn't want to fight back. He doesn't want to retaliate. And so he pulls back, and he is now in an area where his men are kind of fending for themselves. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Then David moved down into the desert of Moan, and a certain man in Moan uh, had, uh, had property there at Carmel, and he was very wealthy. And he had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, and he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And she was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, uh, a Calebite, was surly and mean. In his dealings. Now, there's only a few scripture passages that literally say it. This guy, Pastor Phil paraphrased, was a jerk. He was surly and he was mean. And while David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So he sent ten young men to greet him and said, Go up to Nabal, to Carmel, greet him in my name, say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that are yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time, and when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. The whole time that they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. As your own servants, they will tell you, therefore be favorable toward my young men. Since we have come at a festive time, please give your servants, uh, the servants of your son David, whatever you find for them. 
When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back, and when they arrived, they reported every word. Now, you might be thinking that David's a little out of place here. Actually, David is staying right within what the customs of the day are. It wasn't unusual for individuals to be attacked when their men were out, their flocks were out. David actually formed a service where he was kind of protecting by virtue of being there, wasn't allowing anyone else to bring harm to them. In fact, it was the tradition of the day, kind of like a waiter gets a tip, uh, Chuck Swindoll used to say, that as a waiter gets a tip, it's just kind of expected that if someone provides a service, then you give them a tip back. So what David was requesting was, was pretty appropriate. The way Nabal responded to him was not. And his men understood it. It says they went back and they shared every word. In other words, they didn't soften what the guy said. Pick up the rest of the story. It says... Um, David said to his men, verse 13, put on your swords... And they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the, with the supplies. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messages from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day... They were a wall around us at a time when we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over your master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five saves of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And then she told her servants, go ahead of me, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. They were on their way to meet him. And she met them, and David said that it had, he had just been saying, it has been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He paid me nothing but evil back for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one male of them who belong to him alive. Now as I'm reading down through this, I want you to understand, Scripture is not making a moral statement about David's actions. I think sometimes because David is a man after God's own heart, we think that his actions, other than with Bathsheba, are considered justified. We think that they're right. I want you to know, by virtue of the conversation that's going to take place from here on, I think David was acting harshly. In fact, I think David was acting inappropriately, so much so that he would have been guilty of innocent bloodshed had he done this. He was mad. 
You know, Saul did this at times. Saul would get very upset about something. He would make these grand statements. I don't know, have any of you ever been upset about something and then made a statement or perhaps punished your kids or grounded them for life? Any of you ever grounded your children for life? Just wondered on that. Okay, maybe you didn't. But you realize that you probably overreacted a tad. David responded. David responded quickly. And I would tell you this is not one of David's finest hours. He was a little harsh in his response. But it's interesting how Abigail immediately goes out before, and I want you to see how she maneuvers and works with David to try to calm things down just a little bit. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. She bowed down uh, to David with her face on the ground. She fell at his feet and she said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. He is just as his name says. His name is fool and folly follows him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. What she does is she steps into the situation and she says, you know, seriously, you can't even hold him responsible. He's just being the way he is. Really, the fault lies on me because I'm the one who's supposed to step in in those situations. So I apologize. I should have stepped into that situation. Now, we all are sitting here going, what? She's taking the blame for something she didn't do. She's stepping into a situation where she doesn't have to step into. He was wrong. He made the mistake. But I want you to see what she is doing because she is beginning to intercede on behalf of a relationship even though she's not at fault. As you go down through the story, this continues on, and you will notice she kind of sweet-talks David a little bit. And then it says in verse 30, When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised, my master... Uh, will not have to have his conscience of, uh, 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 of the staggering burden of needless bloodshed uh, for having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master's success, please remember me, your servant. David looks back at her. He says, you win. I'm glad you stepped in because, frankly, I was going to destroy your husband, everybody, every male in your household. But I want you to know that because you've stepped in, because you have been kind, because you have come before me, I have heard your request. Go now in peace. And I want you to see the last part of the story as she goes back home. Verse 36. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. In other words, he had no idea anything was going on. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all of these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Now there's a lot to this story. You probably realize that as we were trying to work down through it. It's, it's 30-some verses that give us a good insight into what's going on. But it's cumbersome, right, when we're sitting here reading through the story. And yet, you've got to kind of see the whole story because in this entire passage, we see that a Abigail is in a position 
where she doesn't have a lot of authority. She's the wife of a guy who is mean and surly in his business dealings. And yet we see her interacting in a way that really gives us some models. Now, there's no simple answers for how you deal with difficult people. If you're dealing with people in your life that are just simply hard, we're not talking about the person who occasionally raises their voice or the person who occasionally is challenging to work with. We're talking about someone who is just simply, every time you seem to work with them, they're hard to get along with. But there were five things that just kind of jump out as you're looking at this, and we're just going to move pretty quickly through them this morning. But the first thing that I noticed is that she actually committed herself to the relationship, and since it was her husband, she committed herself to the covenant relationship. And it's a little bit different because there are some unique relationships that we have in life. There's our relationship with God. That's a covenant relationship, by the way. We celebrated it this morning with the Lord's Supper as Jesus talked about the cup of his covenant. We're in a covenant promise relationship with God. There's only one other one that I know that is like that, and that is with our spouse. It doesn't mean you don't have a relationship with your kids. It's just a different kind of relationship. It doesn't mean you're not having a relationship with somebody at work. It's just a different kind of relationship. But she committed herself to the relationship rather than just simply withdrawing from it. Number two, what I love is that she, inter she interceded on behalf of the relationship rather than simply pull away. Notice what it says. She lost no time means she was intentional. She took all the bread. She took the skins of wine. She took everything she could lay her hands on and took them to David and gave it to him to intercede. And she wouldn't have had to. She could have withdrawn. It's typical in those times that if somebody is angry with you, they destroy you and all the males, but she's not a male. It's one of the few times in a Jewish culture, in a Middle Eastern culture, where it would have actually served her well to be a woman because in that culture, she would not have been destroyed. She could have withdrawn. She could have sabotaged him. She, she could have gone and basically made things worse for her husband. She could have just thrown him under the bus. Now, she does acknowledge that he's a foolish man. But she uses it almost tongue-in-cheek as to try to get David to smile a little bit when she says, hey, it's okay, he's just living up to his name. His name means fool or foolhardy. Therefore, he's just kind of living up to his name. He can't help it. She's actually trying to appease David. And it's really interesting how where she could have just simply withdrawn, she could have fled, she could have let nature take its course, she actually interceded. It strikes me that sometimes in difficult relationships, especially if they happen to be covenant relationships, which were in marriage, that many times that we make statements or we do things that somehow portray to everyone else that we haven't done anything wrong, but it's more than just not doing something wrong. Have we really ever interceded? Have we sabotaged? Have we secretly kind of undermined the relationship so that on the outside we can say we've done everything we can do, we didn't do anything wrong, and yet 
behind the scenes, we've really kind of undermined that relationship. What I love about Abigail is that she was willing to actually intercede and step in on behalf of someone who wasn't very kind. You see a lot of Jesus in this woman from the Old Testament. Number three. The third thing that I see about working with difficult people is that she demonstrated wisdom, tact, and discernment in the way that she interacted. Now, watch her verbiage. It says, she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. She didn't tell her husband. She didn't tell her husband that she was going. When she meets David... She quickly gets off the donkey, verse 24. She fell at her feet. She said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Notice what she's doing is that she comes and she speaks in a way that de-escalates the situation. Now, I don't know about you. This is one of the hardest things for me to do when I'm working with somebody who is just being difficult. Learning how to speak softly, to be able to speak with wisdom, to speak with tact. And I notice in this passage that she does not mention it to her husband. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, she didn't mention it to her husband because she doesn't want her husband to get mad at her. And that's pretty possibly true. But I think what she's more concerned about is if I mention this to my husband, he's going to stop me from interceding and he's actually going to make things worse because he's going to double down on his actions. And one of the hardest things to do when you're working in a volatile situation, you're working with a difficult person, you're working with a person who uses those words as hand grenades, you know, hand grenades, we throw them, they maim, kill, and destroy indiscriminately, and people who use their words that way or use their actions that way, it's really interesting how she uses her wisdom, tact, and discernment. In other words, she's led by the Spirit, and she speaks words that de-escalate the situation, and shows humility and a sensitive spirit. And right about now, some of you are saying, Pastor, you have no idea the difficult person is in my life. And you're probably right. But absolutely nothing I have shared thus far or I'm going to share the rest of the day is outside of the character of Christ. In fact, it's all consistent with the character of Christ. And if Christ is to be our model of character and how we work with people, this really is what Christ calls us to. It's really hard. It is so hard when somebody yells at you to not yell back. But I'll bet just about all of us have learned that when you yell back or raise your voice at someone who's raised their voice at you, I've never, I've never had a person go, oh, you know what, you're right. I, I need to de-escalate a little bit. It never works that way, right? Number five, four. At the right time, she is courageously honest. Now look what she does. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and he was very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. 
Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all of these things, and his heart failed, and he became like a stone. Now watch what she does. When she finally, courageously, she doesn't just let it go. She, she could have just swept it under the rug. No, no, she's not doing that. Now she's in a perilous situation. She is a wife of a Middle Eastern uh, 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 wealthy, surly individual. She has very few rights, but somehow she must have influence in his life because she's willing to have a really hard conversation, but she times the conversation. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to try to deal with somebody when they're drunk. They don't tend to listen well. I got called to a home a number of years ago, and uh, this guy wasn't drunk. This guy was under the influence of cocaine, and he was he was on a binger. He had been gone for days. Um, I'll never forget when I got to his house. That when I came to his house, I, they, they said he's down in the basement. Went down in the basement, and he's curled up in the corner. He's got very few clothes on, and his shirt's off, and he's just curled up in the corner of the basement. And they want me to somehow counsel him. And I just said, this isn't going to work. I said, nothing I say right now is going to make any impact whatsoever. I've been called into situations where individuals are really inebriated and they, they want me to talk some sense into them. I've had people call me on the phone. And you can hear the slur in their speech. And I, and I, I, I lovingly, I love them. I'm their pastor. I, I, I know they know me. I'll call them and I'll say, hey, um... Have you been drinking? <laughs> I tell you what, why don't you go to sleep and let's talk tomorrow morning. She timed it because she knew that she wasn't going to get through and likely was going to get very bitter results. She timed it, she was truthful, and she even tempered it. In other words, she told him everything she had to tell him, but she didn't add anything else to it. And what's interesting is, that the timing and the temperament and the truthfulness alone was enough to stun the guy. You notice it says his heart became hard as stone. Or in other words, he became, he became absolutely, he, had, he didn't have a panic attack. I don't know that he had a heart attack, but he had a heart panic attack. It was, it was kind of like the combination there. He was so overwhelmed by the stupidity of what he'd done and how close he had come. He literally went into shock and it says, the Lord took him home 10 days, 10 days later. And the fifth thing that I notice about the way she interacts is that at every moment, she always took the high road. You never once see her retaliate. You never once see her not extending grace. You never once see her uh, not entrusting her situation to the Lord. She literally, in this whole situation, takes the high road. Every time Nabal could go low, every time she could have done something to undermine him, every time she could have done something to hurt this guy, who, I, can I just say, if a guy is surly and mean in all of his business dealings, there's a really good chance he didn't turn off the surliness or the meanness when he got home. 
And yet somehow she honored the relationship, interceded for the relationship, spoke with wisdom and tact, courageously was willing to push back. In other words, you don't get away with this. I'm not going to reward the poor behavior. I'm, I'm interceding because there's more than just you at stake. But at every opportunity, she took the high road. And you'll notice in every one of these notes, I put what would Jesus say, what did Jesus say. I just simply corresponded for you what Jesus taught on this. But it's interesting what Scripture says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And you all, if you've been here, you know what I'm going to say next. But sometimes it is not up to you. And sometimes they will not live at peace. But as far as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And some of you today have difficult people in your workplace. You have them in your home. You have them in your life. You're in a covenant relationship with them. They are your parents. They are your children. They are a sibling. I guarantee there's a great number of you that are here today that have someone like this in their life. And it is not natural not to push back. And it is not natural not to want to punch back. And it is not natural to not shout back. But it is Jesus. And my job and God's word is not to teach you what is natural. It is to demonstrate and to share what it means to be a follower of Christ. What it means to be guided and yielded by the Spirit of God. And by the way, a value in my life that I hold, I hold on to so much is that God knows how to honor those who honor Him. And you will notice that her husband passes away and David is so impacted by her character, beauty, and integrity that he invites her to become his wife. I realize culturally that seems weird. And oh, by the way, don't pray for them to die, okay? Even if way down deep, you kind of sometimes dream about it. God knows how to honor and care for the person who honors him in business, in life, in family. And I believe with all my heart that God will either change the circumstances or He will change the circumstances. God knows how 
to honor us when we trust Him. These are not easy. These are not simple. We could look at a different passage and the actions might have been very different. It's complicated. But this is Jesus. So Father, this morning, I would guess that there was, there's a, a significant number of people who are here who right now are, there's a, there's, a, there's a face and there's a name that comes to them. And Lord, we ask for your grace and we ask for your leading and we ask for your restraint and we ask for your spirit to lead us to interact with them as Jesus would interact with them. And then some that are very close to us that are so hurtful, protect our souls and protect our spirit and honor us even as we honor you. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.